Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2016 Werner Herzog film, Lo and Behold, Reveries on the Connected World. I even said the title wrong there, Reveries of the Connected World. Let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? Well, Sam, to be frank, I'm feeling kind of irritated today, and so that'll be part of our conversation about the connected world. Okay, okay. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, Herzog we, when we talked about uh, Agira, Wrath of God, um, and this is the sort of other other aspect. Well, there's lots of aspects of Herzog, but the other aspect of him as a filmmaker is that he starts out right as a documentary filmmaker. Is that yeah? Yeah, he's yeah. been a documentarian from his early days. Um, and I am a huge fan of documentaries, and and I'm I'm interested in them both in terms of form and content. And I think this movie is interesting, both in terms of form and content. And I'm I'm almost hard pressed to, to I mean, to point to which I find more interesting, what he's saying or how he's going about saying it. I find both of them really pretty fascinating. Um, so we've already talked about our our histories with Herzog. Uh, what is your history with this film in particular? Because this is a pretty recent film. Yeah, this is actually a recent film. And I will confess that this is the first film that I've invited into the video store that I had not yet seen. Uh, it's been on my list to see. Uh, and I picked up the DVD a couple of weeks ago, but I did not get to it before uh, we had the schedule. And I just decided, you know, it's Werner Herzog. Um, I looked at some of the reviews. My daughter has seen it. And I said, I'm just going to I'm going to go ahead with it because you can't go wrong with Werner Herzog. Uh, his as with Orson Welles, his failures are better than most people's successes. Right, right, and I will say I have seen a few documentaries from him. I, I when, we, when after we watched Agira, I had never seen anything from him. Um, I watched, uh, I watched Grizzly Man. I watched uh, My Best Fiend, his, um, you know, story of his relationship with um, Klaus Kinski, and then I've seen uh, Werner Herzog eats his shoe, which is a, a documentary short uh, tied to his connection with Errol Morris um, in back in the seventies. Um, what is what is your experience with Herzog as a documentary filmmaker? Like, are there hallmarks to his documentary films? Yeah, I, I think there are. Um, first of all, I, I think that one of the key things to Herzog, and one of the reviewers actually put this quite well, is he's not a documentarian who's interested in telling you things. He's a documentarian who's interested in uh, documenting his own curiosity. So I think one of the things about a Herzog uh, documentary is he just loves questions. Um, and he seems open to asking all kinds of, uh, of questions. It also means, and, and my daughter has lately begun to feel this might be a fault. It means that his film, his documentaries are also quite personal. Uh, that even as he um, asks other people questions and gets their perspective, it's always kind of filtered through um, Herzog's own own consciousness. So in that sense, I would call him kind of a romantic documentarian in that the documentaries are about Werner Herzog's view of the world uh, as much as it is about uh, what, other, what other people uh, think about the world. Uh, Anthony Lane in his review in The New Yorker said that, and I guess it's really interesting, so that if Herzog were struck blind, he would then make a documentary about Matisse. Uh, colorblind. Sorry, if he were colorblind, right. he would then make a documentary about Matisse. So I think I, I think that's what I love about the Herzog documentary is he's always he's always pushing the boundaries of of your comfort level, whether it's physically as in encounters at the end of the world, uh, or if it's just psychologically, mentally, emotionally. He's he's interested in boundaries and where they exist and how far beyond them you can go. So it seems to me an entirely Herzogian moment in this film, among others 
when he tells Elon Musk that he would sign up for that trip to Mars without right. a round trip ticket. Well, I think that makes him um, a very honest documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, because I, I mean, it's not hard to argue that every documentary film is about the filmmaker and their point of view and their experience of the world, but not everybody acts like it is. And Herzog yeah, does, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that's something I appreciate about him. He, uh, throughout this, I'm going to always just by default be comparing him to Errol Morris, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. And it's interesting because up until recently, Morris often pulls himself out of his films. Like there's all there's in a lot of his movies, uh, Morris movies, there's like one moment when you hear him ask a question and usually he cuts himself out of all of that. Now, recently he's changed that and he's been far more present, but Herzog, everything I've seen, he is the narrator of his films. He's, Mm -hmm. he's, present in the interviews in a way that um some filmmakers again they they edit out the question and they just like i just i want to act like this person's just talking but herzog it's like he demands to share top billing with everything else in there and i think that's like i said i think there's something very honest about that and it also then if we're thinking about form it creates the form of his documentaries they feel more like he's chasing his curiosity because we're hearing him ask questions. And like you said, we're hearing him ask weird questions sometimes. <laughs> now, I, I, I wonder um, I wonder what his process actually looks like because it's clear when he's asking some of those weird questions. I read a review where uh, they talked about this, that he will very often, especially at the end of a clip, ask somebody a question where you're like, that's a weird thing to say, except obviously he's already talked with this person. So he's like, He's giving them an alley oop to make a point, um, like when he talks to the um, the person about um, molecular folding, and he says mm. something about shirts. and And when I first saw that, I thought I was almost embarrassed for Herzog. Like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. Why did you say it? Then I realized, oh, he's he's setting up this guy to give this example, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's it seems clumsy, except it also seems really great mm-hmm. that he does yeah. that. Um, I found the title to this movie really interesting. I mean, we've we've joked already about stumbling over the title. I've already stumbled over the title. Um, so I want to think about two words because you're the person I like to talk to about words. So the first is the word "low." Uh, the 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 um, the UCLA uh, computer scientist makes this this point about how the first message over, sent over the internet by accident was low, <laughs> but that that was also this like prescient thing. Um, so I looked up the I looked up a definition to the word low, and it says uh, the definition <laughs> I got was an exclamation used to draw attention to an interesting or amazing event, which does seem pretty fitting. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, I want to ask you about the word reverie. Because that mm-hmm. seems like a very intentional, uh, a very intentional word to put into this title. Um, so when you hear the word reverie, what do you think? Oh, yeah. When I, when I hear of reverie, I think of amusing. Um, but at the same time, it also seems to contain the word, and I haven't checked the etymology, but I think it also has reverence in it as well. So it's kind of a it's kind of a combination of musing. But at the same time, revering, which of course goes beautifully with "Lo and Behold," um, because it then becomes a, a, an image of the uh, of the internet or the connected world, kind of having a uh, uh, a function as a sort of pseudo deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Anthony Lane, actually, in his review of the New Yorker, points that out that Herzog is very interested in what people 
well, here's here's how Lane puts it. He says that Herzog's on a permanent lookout for amusing panoply of things that human beings choose to adulate when God is unavailable for comment. Um, so I think Lo and Behold beautifully captures that, along with the fact, of course, that the documentary is broken up into 10, 10 chapters uh, as if there are 10 commandments. Now, does from your experience with his other films, because I've seen a lot fewer, is that chaptering something he he's done in other places, or is that I, unique to no, this? No, I I do not recall that he has. It's it's been a while, and I may be forgetting, but I don't think I was. To be frank, I was surprised by the chaptering when it came along. So I don't think I I know that it's not typical. I can't say he's never done it before, but it's not typical. I thought it actually also fit well with this idea of of uh reveries or like musings or daydreams because there is this quality to this and i'm gonna i i mean this as a strength of this movie because i i'm gonna come out and say i loved i actually watched this movie three times this week for for various reasons i ended up watching it three times but it's the first time i wanted to take really close notes as i was going through it because there's so many different things in this um that he here's the compliment i want to give him he does a great job of giving you just enough and what i mean by that is uh so if we think about things like the like the d or the the molecular folding mm -hmm. there's a degree to which like when that scientist is talking it's like i kind of understand what he's talking about i kind of understand what this software does but i don't really get it mm -hmm. but i get it enough to know the point that's trying to be made without without like I think some other filmmakers may have spent 45 minutes on that to be like, I want to make sure you really understand this. And Herzog's not that interested that I understand the minutia. He wants me to understand the concept. Right. Um, so, so I think the chaptering is nice there too, because it's pointing out to me, it's like, we're going in a different direction now. Just so, because if you took those out, it would still work, but it would feel very abrupt and it would feel like, why did you stop talking about this thing? He's he's screaming to us, my my you know interests or curiosities have now shifted over here, and I want to think about this. So it, it I think it plays on that idea of like well, we're kind of going to muse on this thing for a while, and then on this other thing, um, rather than this having to be this kind of. Um, one of the things I sometimes don't like about academic writing is is that the writer makes a point. And then makes the point again, and then makes it again, and makes it again, and makes it again. Herzog doesn't do that as much. Now, when you get to the end, you start to see these things tying together in ways. But, but I, I actually like the way that the chaptering allows him to move around. I feel like this is, um, okay. Here's another bad analogy, but I once uh, heard, I don't know if it was an interview with Bob Dylan or somebody commenting on something Bob Dylan said about the song "A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall," mm. and he said that every line of that song is the first line could be the first line of another song. Yeah. And I think of this movie as like every place that he goes could have been a movie in and of itself. Like I would, I would have watched a documentary about that computer at UCLA. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting. I would have watched it. I would, there's so many things there where it's like, if it had just been this, that would have been interesting. So it, to me, it's interesting that he wanted to do all, he wanted to cover all of this stuff in this one, in this one film. Well, I mean, in, in, in that sense, the film is kind of an example of, you know, form following function. Um, you know, I mean, because the, the, the very fact that it's the connected world means that all these different things are in fact connected. And so I think ultimately what Herzog is trying to demonstrate is that these issues 
yes, you could drill down on one issue. You could do an entire documentary on the dangers of social media. You could do an entire documentary on the development of robots. I mean, and but his point is, he wants us to see that those issues about about technology are all interconnected. So I think in that sense, the film is both, in a sense, kind of scattershot. I watched this with my wife, who was very frustrated by art forms that fail to focus. So, you know, when we ended the film, she said it's kind of a, I mean, she didn't say this, but I think what she was implying was it's kind of a hot mess. But I, but I, I look at it, but, but how can you, t because once you start talking about this, you're going to talk about that. And once you talk about that, it's almost as though the film is itself a kind of hypertext. You know, mm -hmm. it's, and it's interesting that he's included Ted Nelson as one of the interviewees who almost nobody, none of the reviews I read picked up on Ted Nelson, but I thought Ted Nelson was fascinating, uh, especially since uh, for somebody like Herzog to tell you you're the only sane person in the world is like being told you're the only insane person in, in, in the world. But I think that I think that, he, that Nelson is in there because, it, because Herzog doesn't want to leave any stone unturned. And in a sense, what he's saying to us as viewers is, if you're interested in that thread, you can follow that out. You know, there's plenty of ways to find out more about that. I just kind of want to dip into it, tell you there it is, look at it. Now let's move on to something else. So I think he's very deliberately um, structured in his choice of this kind of scattershot structure. Absolutely. And I, and I found the thing that, and this is where I feel like it stood up to multiple views, and it's partially why I watched it a couple times, is it took me probably until the second time through when I started to realize something that somebody says at the end actually really does speak to this other thing, which seems utterly unrelated earlier. But if you, if you start to think about them and you start to do your own musing and start to follow your own curiosity, you start to realize, Oh, this issue that was brought up here, this question this person asks here is actually very similar to this question. This other person's asking about this entirely different thing. And you start to, you start, it took me a while to see those things. So we would sort of talk more about that as we go. Um, if we get into some of the content of this movie, um, which is which is fascinating, um, do you have particular chapters or visits that uh, Herzog makes to uh, that that stand out to you, or that sort of sit with you or stick with you as you reflect on this movie? Well, certainly the one that I mentioned, the the Ted the Ted Nelson one, really kind of sticks with me. Um, and I've already said enough about that. Um, I, I I love the interview with uh, with Elon Musk. Um, just because <laughs> this is before a Musk, you know, revealed that he was on the, on the spectrum and you can just see that, you know, he, he's a little, he's a little baffled by, by Herzog, um, but kind of fascinated by him at the same time. And I feel like the, the, the two are kind of mirror images of each other. So I kind of love that interaction. And then I guess I got to say, I, I, I love the guy with the soccer robots. Um, and, uh, and, and I love Herzog asking him about whether he loves the robot and he says, yeah, yes, yes, he does. Uh, I mean, I, I could pick a number of other moments, but I, I guess I'll go with those three. Yeah, I will say top on my list was robot soccer. Do you love number eight? I had that as the first thing I wanted to bring up because it, it's so interesting um, because, you know, in some ways it speaks to some of the things we've been talking about when we talked about AI. I also, if we're thinking about interconnected points, it reminds me of the um, the self-driving car, uh, the, the guy who was in the competition who taught at the big MOOC at Stanford. Oh yeah, um, well, and he was talking about dishwashers, right? And he said, and because because um, 
Herzog asked, like, well, they they wouldn't be capable of loving like like these robots or these things, and and he, I think he asks something like, would it matter or would we want it to? Yes, you know, uh, which is interesting because because we ask the human being, do you love this? But the when we think about the robot, is like, is that even a valid question to bother asking a robot? Mm -hmm. um, so and that and that was one of those questions when he asked it, I like wasn't sure what the kind of response was going to be, and actually seeing the like just the genuine smile on that guy's face when he's like, I do, I do love number eight. <laughs> I will also say that scene in general fascinated me. Um, watching those, I think I could watch those robots play soccer for days on end. Like I'm, I'm because at first it looks like, I mean, we're so used to seeing, you know, it looks like remote control cars or something, but then to just realize like these things are, are, Work, not only are they working on their own, but they're working on their own together as a unit. Like when it flashed to the computer screen and you realize they're all also communicating with each other and like creating strategy. And I, and I, I just imagine based on what they say about robot or about self-driving cars that um, there's a degree to which if you set them up to play and just let them play for 10 years, <laughs> would, they in, would they invent stra soccer strategies no one's ever thought of because they kept trying things and kept defend like like I'm fascinated by the idea of letting those things alone and seeing and like coming back after a, a large amount of time and seeing well what have you developed or do they keep mm -hmm. just running in the same patterns or is there is there this kind of spontaneous creativity that comes from those things it's just like like that is endlessly fascinating to me. And the idea that, I mean, they talk about with the self-driving cars that, that it's a collective learning. Um, I will say, I will say in, 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 I don't, I don't know your, your feelings about things like this, but I, I am so excited about the notion of self-driving cars. I think that that, <laughs> that that's going to be a great leap forward for humanity. Well, I, I, I have to say, um, going back to the, to, to soccer and the, uh, the ocean notion that maybe robots will actually, you know, win the FIFA cup in 2050. Um, I love, I love again, what Anthony Lane says in his, in his review, um, cause it kind of gets us into this conversation about AI, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to watch the documentary. Uh, he says, well, will a next generation robot eight swear at the referee and fall down clutching its circuit board in superbly <laughs> superbly feigned agony because a human's boot has clipped it on the wheel. And then and in and this this is the point that Lane makes that I really love. He says, our gifts are easy to mimic. Our sins and frailties, however, the glitch-ridden software of mortality will be a tougher call. Um, and it's interesting because we tend to assume that technology is about the perfection of the human. That the whole point of technology, the whole point of AI, is to um, is to replicate that which is best in human beings and kind of eliminate that which is which defines us as as creatures. So it's like you know one of one of the people one of the, the people uh, Herzog talks to points out that um, you know machines can learn much faster uh, than we, than we can, and we all know that machines can process information much faster faster than we can. So we have that capability. The machines have the capability um, enhanced, right? So the idea is, well, why would we want to create a machine that forgets the way we forget? We only want to create a machine that remembers the way we, we remember. So this whole notion, you know, could AI replace human beings? If you think about it from the perspective of human frailties, well, no, because that's not what we're trying to do with AI. We're trying to create something which is, by definition, not human, because it only has part of what it means to be human and not all of what it means to be human.
It's interesting because 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 when you brought up the, the 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 piece about would it would it like flop and fake injuries, the thing that came to my mind was, well, would it? <laughs> the kind of question they keep asking: Would it matter? Would it help them win? And it made me think about. I can't remember which I didn't write who said things on here in my notes here, but when they were talking about the, um, the idea of AI following the programming, uh, the values of its programming and the mm -hmm. idea, the, the, the idea of like, if you create an AI to manage your, your economic portfolio, like that it could conceive of the best way to maximize the portfolio is to start a war. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, okay. So, so it, would those robots learn that actually to do these things will help you win if their goal is merely to score the most goals, you know, to score more, more goals than your opponent, like, would it help you win? Well, that, you know, like, um, and that was a haunting, that was a haunting moment because it made me think about earlier in the film when they're talking about the early internet and one of the computers had the bug that said it could deliver messages in negative time, you know, and it's like, and, and that, that everything then routed through that because, the computers are just looking for efficiencies, you know, like they're programmed to look for efficiencies. So if there's a problem in the programming where something appears to be an efficiency, it'll actually go through and destroy the system over using that, that fake efficiency. So like I was, I was in terms of thinking about AI, I was haunted by that, that notion of, you know, starting a, of starting a war to so seemingly this thing that's completely unrelated in order to maximize the portfolio. Um, and, and it also made me think of, of self-driving cars, that, that part where he talked about trying to teach them human values of if you're, you know, obviously don't hit anything, but if you're going to hit something, it would be better to hit, would it be better to hit a person or better to hit an inanimate object? Like, like mm -hmm. having to teach values in those kinds of ways as well. But, you know, it, it, this also takes me back to AI, the film and back to that, that remark of David's, which was, is it a game? Mm. Right. So what you just said, Sam, really kind of resonated for me on that. So, for example, it, when you gave that example of, OK, so you you program the robots to play soccer, it's a game. And the goal of the game is to score as many goals as possible. You program them to enhance your portfolio. It's a game. The goal of the game is to make as much money as you can. So there's a sense in which that 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 question about is it a game i mean like, i i don't know anything about programming so i'm going to i'm going to say something probably pretty stupid but it seems to me that, that that programming is basically teaching the games to the intelligence that you're programming because you're trying to explain here's the end result of what we're trying to do so if you're a self-driving car you're trying to get from point a to point b but one of the rules is you may not hit people um, so it seems to me that that the whole notion of approaching reality as a kind of game because you want to set up rules and and goals makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I also, yeah, I, I I think that's such an interesting interesting connection. You know, that idea of of because even, I even think about how we play how we interact with a game as opposed to how we interact with life that um, for people who play video games, things like this, that, or, or, you know, or even if you're playing monopoly or, you know, with your family, you would do things there that you would never do um, that you would never do in, in, in real life. If you're thinking of yourself as, well, I'm playing a game and this game has a clear objective. Um, and, and how, how well can we program AI to understand complicated objectives that that aren't a clear linear game style objective but like a, like a moral objective kind of yeah. thing 
But we also often refer to games in contrast to reality, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a game. This is real. I'm not, I'm not playing. I'm, I'm so so. Gaming is also for us in some ways uh, different from uh, intentionally set off from reality. Right, right, and it's a negative to 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 be gaming the system. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You're turning something that should be serious into something that's, yeah. Uh, to to shift gears a little bit, um, one of the most interesting segments in this movie, and I think it's the only one that has just one interview to it. The most haunting one is the one about the car accident. Yeah. Um, and it's it's haunting both in what it's about what it says about humanity and how Herzog filmed it. It's such a weird visual image. Yeah. My, my, my wife said to me, are they supposed to look like the Adams family? And, and in, and in fact, the young, the daughter on the right looks like Christina Ritchie uh, from the film. And then, and, and then Amy said to me, what, what's, what's with all the pastries? It's, it, it 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 is the most. It, it's like when we watch a David Lynch film. You said to me, "What's you know what's Lynchian about this scene?" That is the most. That is the most Herzogian uh, moment in 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 the film. Well, I thought it was interesting. And again, I, I I'm projecting. I'm sure onto this. I thought it was interesting because that's really I think the only moment in the movie when they are talking about social media really like social media doesn't really come up much in mm. other parts of it i mean he mentions the uh the monks tweeting but like beyond that it's, he doesn't go into like a uh he seems not not interested maybe in that in in like a social media question which is interesting thinking this is a 2016 film where that seems like a peak moment for thinking about the the power and dangers of social media at any rate i look at that family and if I'm not thinking about the tragedy that happens in that family's life, and I'm thinking about the, 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 just the, the visual there, and I'm thinking, I presume this is in their home. I mean, mm-hmm. that seems to be how it's set up. It's like one of the things about social media is sort of how you put yourself forward, right? How do you, how do you depict yourself? And I'm I, like, I look at those pastries and I look at that house and I'm, and part of me is thinking like, part of this feels Instagrammy, except the, except for the people in it, right? If you took the people out, like this is kind of this beautiful Instagram kitchen shot where you have these really kind of gorgeous croissants there and all this, you know, it looks like you're, you're it looks like an ad for an Airbnb, except for you have these people there who are talking about an unspeakable tragedy and the, the, the darkness of the human soul. Like it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird thing. Cause it just from, just from like the space that they're in. And and again, I don't know if Herzog is the one who mm. set decorated that, or if the family was like, this is how we would like to, I don't like, I just don't know his process for things like that. But that was, um, that visual was so strange. Yeah. And it, it's also interesting how carefully, I mean, it's, it's carefully edited, not only in terms of the setting and, and the, uh, the costuming, so to speak, but he also carefully edits the story because mm-hmm. after a six-year court battle, the family actually got us reached a settlement of two point three seven million dollars for uh, for what happened. Hmm. And Herzog isn't interested in that because that, in a sense, kind of undermines. I mean, obviously, no amount of money makes up for a death, but he really isn't interested in how that part of the story ended. He's really interested in the, in the damage that, that can be done 
through through the social media. I, I think I think it's included, um, as you said, it's probably the only place where he really gets into social media. I think it's included though, because it's part of, um, in a sense, what the film does often is it shows it shows the extremes. You have the extreme of those who love what the internet represents, and you have the extreme of those who see it as both a social danger and a physical danger. Those people who are having various kinds of uh, reactions to radio waves and, and all that. So you've kind of got people, uh, and then you know people like Elon Musk who thinks it's you know great to go to Mars. You sort of got those people on um, both sides of the spectrum, and then you kind of have the people in the middle, you know, who talk about you know well here's how you can use the internet for um, for uh, for folding molecules, or you know we're making a lot of progress with robots, but at this point they still can't even do what a cockroach can do. Mm -hmm. So I think he also manages to do that right to give us the extremes and also the middle positions. And I would say that scene, and I'm just seeing this connection now, um, connects to who I think is one of the stars of this movie in terms of kind of popping off the screen. And the person I just wanted to hear more stories from um, is uh, is Kevin Mitnick, mm -hmm. the super yeah. hacker, yeah. Um, because you know he's talking about internet security or security in general, but but internet security, and you know makes the claim that people are the weakest link in security. Mm -hmm. So he's saying like. There's a degree to which these systems, it's not the, the the evil isn't the systems, the problem isn't the systems, the weak link isn't the systems, it's the people. In the same way, social media in and of itself is benign, but that car accident thing is about what happens when you connect humans to that, right? If 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 the internet existed on its own, it's probably it's it's neutral, right? But once you connect humans to it, what are the what are the directions we go? What are the problems, right? And and Mitnick talking about the same thing with security. Your security systems can be perfect, but when you connect humans to it, it's when that starts to fall apart. Well, doesn't that take us back to Doctor Strangelove? Is is, is is isn't that isn't that the lesson of Doctor Strangelove that you know you're supposed to create this doomsday device in order to uh, subvert uh, subvert and avert human error, and human error creeps in anyway. I mean, one of the fascinating things about Mitnick, and I did a little bit of reading about him, uh, and this this comes out in the interview with Herzog is he wasn't he wasn't or isn't a super hacker in terms of his coding skills. It's 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 as his anecdote reveals. It's his social engineering skills. Mm -hmm. It's his ability to kind of talk his way, it, 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 to give it, it, talking people into giving him information that they shouldn't be giving him. I mean, I mean, you hear that story that he tells, and you're like, I don't know. If I saw that in a movie, I wouldn't believe that anybody would give him that information. So obviously, I underestimate the fallibility of human nature, and he's got a. You know, he's one of those people who he can, I, from an early age, he did this in the, in the early 60s. He managed to find a way to, to get free, you know, using the old punch card, you know, mm -hmm. system for computers. He managed to find a way to get free bus rides all around town. Just because he asked the driver for some information, the driver gave him the information he needed, and that was all he needed to do to hack into the whole bus system. So he's just, he's, what he really is, is he's a genius psychologist more than a genius computer guy. Yeah, he he chalks it up in the movie to the gift of gab. <laughs> yes, he, even in that even in that phone call, it's like he was about to get off the phone, and the other person said, "No, no, no, wait, I have good news," you know. And and um, it's funny that you say, if I saw that in a movie, I wouldn't believe it. This week, I was recording another podcast, and we were talking about a story about a prison break, and there was a scene like where somebody talks their way through something and the other person was like, yeah, I don't know that that's believable. And I said, wait, let me tell you the story of Kevin Mitnick because it's like, <laughs> it made me believe like actually 
yeah, we tend, yeah. you know, like, cause even that's a story about human nature, right? It's a story about the, in some ways, the, how the goodness of human nature is a problem, you know, for security, right? Cause that person just desperately wants to be helpful to this person on the phone. It, it, it also suggests that there's a very thin line between that kind of diabolical cleverness and actual sociopathic behavior. Um, yeah. if, if you think about it, I mean, a sociopath is just Kevin Mitnick one, one step further. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think it's interesting, you know, I don't know his story, like what he, uh, what he did with hacking, but that one at least ends with, it's basically says it was just a trophy. It was just like, yeah. look what I was able to get. It's not about, um, he did that so that he could do X, Y, and Z. It was a game. Yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was a game that he wanted to win. <laughs> Uh, another part to this movie, which I have to say did kind of shake me to my core. Uh, cause like other things I'm like, I feel like touched on stuff I've, I've known or thought about, like, I've never really thought about solar flares before. Oh, yeah. I felt really uncomfortable after that. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I will say it, I've, I'd heard the phrase internet of things before, mm. but the concept never clicked with me until watching this. And I realized, I realized what that means, right? It's about all of the things that we have now, the physical things that need not be connected that are connected. So now, you know, all of those things are also kind of dependent on these systems. And, um, and I, and when I started to think about, uh, okay, how long ago was 1859? And when she's talking about, yeah, these come along every couple hundred years. I was just <laughs> thinking, like Carrington event. Like, like I, I actually have genuine anxiety that's that has not abated since watching this movie about that. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it, but it, but it is just like this sort of vague hum and on, in the kind of baseline hum of anxiety that that helped to feed. Yeah, it's a it, it's a little it's a little bit different from the anxiety you might feel about the asteroids the asteroid that's going to hit the Earth, right? Because we we think if we act in time, we actually can do something to avert that. Um, but we can't do anything about the sun and its solar flares, and and we've got a lot of stuff at risk now. Sorry, Sam, I agree with your anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to. There's a question that Herzog asks a number of people. Um, and this is an example of him not over explaining, but it also to the point where like, I'm not quite sure I even understand the question. I'm not sure he understands the question or cares to understand the question. <laughs> it's where he gets to the, he, he's, there's this um, uh, Carl von Clausewitz quote, which oh yeah, I also did some looking, trying to actually figure out if he really said this. And it's unclear that, that, that he actually said this, but um, <laughs> the, the, the Clausewitz quote was uh, war dreams of it. Sometimes war dreams of itself. Yeah, and and Herzog keeps asking, "Does the internet dream of itself?" And I want to know, to your mind, what does that question mean? Um, I, I, I well, I, I think I think it can mean um, three different things. Actually, um, I think one obvious one, and I'm going to connect this again back to uh, to Spielberg's film AI. It could mean that the internet has achieved some kind of human identity because we think of human you know, some we think of human beings as Dreaming is one of the things that we do as human beings. So it could mean that. It could mean that the internet has some kind of um, con self-consciousness, uh, which seems to me to be a fairly obvious one. And it could also mean that the internet has some kind of intentionality uh, because the dream is also to make plans. 
So I think all of it, and I and I take it whether Clausewitz said that or not, I take it that's the point of the quote that why does war happen in human society? Well, maybe war is not just an abstraction or a description of an event, but maybe war is an actual conscious thing that manipulates human beings into into doing things. So I think the I think the the internet dreaming of itself in some ways is the matrix. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that that's how you could translate it into reality. So do you think the internet dreams of itself? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I thought about was um, a lot of the things towards the end of this movie also sort of touch on this idea of how uh, how the internet is changing us, how our relationship to it is. Um, even, you know, and we've talked about this at other times, even the way our dependence on it maybe shapes our brains in different ways a little bit because of what we rely on it for instead of what we rely on ourselves for. There's some um, talk in here about like kind of creative analytical thinking and, and how, you know, how are, how, you know, are we maybe less capable of that? I've talked about memory and how we outsource memory. Um, and uh, I'm going to get way out ahead of my skis here. Cause I'm going to talk about people I've, heard reference but not read so i i apologize i apologize to anyone if i'm getting this wrong but um my my aunt uh, often talks about uh marshall McLuhan mm. and how he talked about um media as the extension of man and how mm. essentially that we my, the way i understand this and this is where i could be wrong that we basically we shape the world around us as extensions of ourselves and all and in some ways as like exteriorizations of things internal to us so mm -hmm. things like roadways are like basically mirror our circulatory system um the electrical grid is like our nervous system my aunt likes to say that the internet is like our is like the exteriorization of our brain mm -hmm. um okay this this may not be marshall McLeod, but but let's just take that idea for a second because that idea is kind of interesting um and it made me think that like if that's true then there's a degree to which the internet is created in our image to a degree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it makes me wonder how, you know, this, this movie is sort of asking the question, um, how is it, th how is it then shaping us in its own image? And what does that mean? I mean, I feel like that becomes this circular thing of like, we have made this as an extension of ourselves, but it is now, this is where I think about the internet dreaming of itself. It is now making us an extension of it as we become reliant on it. Um, and that makes some of those things feel scarier to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Or another way of thinking about it is we're 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 manipulating our environment, and then our environment is going to in turn to manipulate us. And you've already alluded to, you know, we already have evidence that uh, brains are developing differently because of the way that children are interacting like with electronic media. Another interesting thing, and in, you know, in in light of this, was it was I think it's the the UCLA scientist from the beginning. At the end, he's talking about. It's almost like he's disappointed in how the internet's developed so far because he says it's not invisible yet. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought about that. I mean, I, I, I think I totally understand what he's saying because yeah. he compares it to electricity. Like we don't think about electricity. It just is. It just surrounds us and works around us. And he's like, that's in some ways, that's the next step for this is that we cease to like think about going on to the internet like i'm going to get my phone out because i need mm -hmm. to go on to the, to the but it just is this thing which right. is invisible around us i think of something that i want and it delivers it i walk into a room and it creates the space around me uh and then and another one of the, those uh computer scientists talks about it as 
Oh, it's no, it's the network security guy talks about it as both an egotistical world and a magical world simultaneously. And I never thought about, I never thought about sort of the internet becoming invisible, but that does seem like, like a, a natural progression of kind of how we are developing in our relationship with it. Well, in, in a sense that would, that, that would create a situation where the internet has sort of replaced nature, um, which is why Hertz, which is what's interesting about Herzog making this film, because he often makes films about, most of his films are about really encounters with the natural world. And he has a very uneasy relationship to the natural world. So it kind of makes sense that now he does a film about our relationship to the artificial world and what the, you know, what the benefits and the, the dangers of that might be. A uh, couple more questions. <clears throat> this film is in part financed by a company called NetScout, which mm -hmm. is a internet security company. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I don't think about how things are financed very much, but I found that really interesting, um, especially thinking of, I mean, I think of Herzog as a, as an artist in a kind of way, and if and if or not in a kind of way, in a definite way, um, and I think about this being financed, this particular film being financed by an internet security company, and that even makes me feel uneasy. It makes me feel like, well, this easily feels like. There's enough in here that could be interpreted as kind of an internet security propaganda thing of like, this is why you need the new yeah. services from Nets. I don't even know what NetScout does, but but <laughs> like, did that strike you at all? Or is that just part of making movies? Yeah, it's part of making movies. And also I, I would love to, I, I, I would really wonder whether the company got what they thought they were getting. Um, I, I suspect there might've been a little bit of Kevin Mitnick and Herzog as he gave the pitch for what this movie was going to be. Um, so it yeah. makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not, I'm not terribly concerned. <laughs> if so, so you've talked about, uh, you know, him usually making films about the natural world in relationship to the natural world, um, both documentary and narrative films in that way. You know, if you think about uh, Aguirre, yeah. you think about Fitzcarraldo. If he, this is, to, just drop this question if you don't like it, but if he were to make a narrative film about, or ha I don't think he has, has he made a narrative film about interaction with the connected virtual world? Um and if he did, like, how might you imagine a Werner Herzog narrative film touching on this? Oh man, that's a that, that that's an that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, he would need um, he would need a protagonist uh, because you know his films always have some kind of a strong protagonist, and so um, I, I think I think it, I think it would, it would I think it would look a lot like Blade Runner. How about that? Okay, um, that that seems to me to be a kind of a Herzogian vision. <laughs> I would watch Werner Herzog's Blade Runner. I'm, I'm in for that. Okay, last question that I have, um, and I don't, and, and yeah, I'm just going to ask it, and we can think about if this question matters as well. Is, um, and I wrote this in a very particular way. Is Herzog trying to say something in this film? And what I mean by that is he try is he trying to say one thing, and does he need to? I mean, does he? Do you think he draws any conclusions here? And does it matter? Does he need to? I don't know that it matters, but I'm curious if you think like. Ultimately, you walk out with him saying something particular here. That's a really that's a really good question, Sam. And I and again, I, I'm kind of tempted to go both directions with it. To say, on the one hand, I think what he's saying is there isn't one thing to say. I you know I mean kind of back to what we were saying earlier about reveries. I I think I tend to think he's saying there's lots of stuff for you to think about. And what I want you to do is think about it. I'm not going to tell you it's bad. I'm not going to tell you it's good. 
I'm not going to tell you it's progress. I'm not going to tell you it's it's dangerous. I'm just going to tell you this is what it looks like, and I and and I want you to kind of come to to your own conclusion. In fact, um, that that was what, what there's a, there's a scene that kind of I think exemplifies that. I think it's that weird scene which has no commentary on it of the Honda robot pouring the drink, and he just shows it to you. Doesn't say anything about it. And to me, that's kind of, that's, that's one way to answer that question. What do you think of that robot pouring the drink? And then at the end, the human being comes in, you know, and is handed the drink. To me, that's, that, that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, what do, you, what do you make of that? Now, even after I say that, I still think, and maybe this is because I know a little bit about Herzog, I, I think he's still skeptical of the connected world, but he also knows that it exists and it's not gonna go away and there's no point in tilting at windmills and try to act like this is a bad thing we should do away with. Yeah, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't think this is the last line of the film, but someone towards the very end um, says people will have to be their own control. Yeah. You know, so, so I mean, I will, and, and, and as I think about it, that's one of the big pieces that I feel is like, Ultimately, we have to be responsible for how we interact with this thing, which speaks to that idea that it's not going away. It is a powerful tool in every possible direction, but we need to think about ourselves as, and how we and how we live in, and interact with it. Um, and we're going to need to be our own control because there isn't going to be, nor do we want a, an exterior control. Um, because they even talk about that. They talk about like anonymity versus you know hyper specificity in sort of our interactions with the net and how neither of those is what we want and so part of that is going to be about living in that gray area in the middle and and that that requires of us um active participation but also maybe active contemplation on how we how we live in this connected world yeah you have other things you want to talk about with this? Yeah. I think I went through my notes there. I got one last thing to say. I want to say why I, so, why I started this day irritated and it was appropriate for this conversation. Um, I'm going out of town tomorrow. And so I stopped in uh, at the local grocery store where there's an ATM for my bank. And evidently it has been long enough since I used my uh, ATM card that I, I can't remember my pin. At least the, the machine thinks I didn't remember my pin. So I tried a number of different combinations. Fortunately, it did not garnish the card. I took it back. And then I went online to try to find out what my pin is. And evidently, my bank is in a transition from TCF to Huntington. And I can't even get on the TCF website in order to ask TCF, what is my, what is my pin number? So I'm feeling right now like the, inter like the connected world is a, is a place of, of deep frustration. And uh, unless my wife has some money, I'm not going to have any money to go out of town. So that's why I'm irritated. I think that's a perfect, like, small-scale illustration of what's what's happening here, right? That you're 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 trapped in a kind in a in a in a very small kind of way there, where, but but in a very real way, right? Because yeah. you know you're talking about getting some cash for this vacation, but it is like, you know, you presumably have money in a bank, but if you can't <laughs> access it, do you have it, right? That's right. That's right. Oh, this I I really. I loved this movie and I, we talked yesterday uh, in passing in the hall and I was, I, my question to you was, okay, what's it like, what should I, if I want more Werner Herzog documentary, where should I go next? So, right. so you, you gave me a couple of recommendations. What, what, what would you say to people if, if they were into this? Well, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're very different, but I think um, a couple of, I'll, I'll go with a couple of, I think Cave of Forgotten Dreams 
uh, about the 26,000 year old cave paintings. That's a, that's a fantastic film. And I think Encounters at the End of the World uh, talk about Herzog and nature. Uh, those, those two, I think, are among his, uh, his strongest. Fantastic. I'm definitely going to be checking, uh, checking all of those out. Uh, what do you have for us for next week? Well, I think I, I want to go back to um, one of our earlier directors. We watched uh, Peter Weir's film Fearless a while ago, and we were both a little bit underwhelmed by it. Um, but I want to go back to Peter Weir's, Peter Weir's roots in the Australian new wave film uh, films of the 70s. Uh, and one of those films, which I think is really haunting, is called The Last Wave from uh, 1976. And so that's that's what I'd like to do. I want to delve a little bit into the Australian new wave. Fantastic. I am, I've am i never seen that movie. I've heard of it only because I read about Peter Weir when we watched Fearless. Um, very excited for that. Um, thank you so much for... for uh, twice delivering me Werner Herzog to uh to explore and interact with he um he's definitely in conversation with Errol Morris in terms of documentary filmmakers that do the kind of thing that I like that that um I feel like both of them both have something they want to say but they they go about different ways of not banging you over the head with it but like presenting things to you and letting it appear i feel they clearly have very different processes for how they um think about how you um i was going to say tell a story but it's not even necessarily tell a story how do you do something like this um uh, but but herzog is now has become a very important uh filmmaker to me that and i will i will keep uh keep revisiting him and he seems like a a delightfully strange man that uh that i want to i want to just hear his voice more and more i love when he shows up in in acting roles and things because he does it he was in the mandalorian uh in the first season and it's it's always great to see Werner herzog and things yeah he was in if you want to see more of herzog he was in an early film called julian donkey boy back in the mid 90s um and one of the one other thing I'll, I'll add is that one of the reviewers actually said that this documentary is his version of fast cheap and out of control I wrote that in my notes. I said, this bears a relationship to those things. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Um, that's all the time that we have. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about the last wave in the video store. Mm -hmm.